Okay. So we're going to be looking at that Hebrews passage a little bit, but we're going all over the Bible this morning, which is good, isn't it? So, um, so we are looking at our next value of being a generous family. So we've looked at our vision, haven't we, of this, this coming year, that we're going to be brave disciples, we're going to be strong and courageous, that we're going to step out to follow Jesus as disciples. We've looked at we're going to be spirit-filled worship, that we're going to ask God to come and inhabit the praises of his people, that worship is about him and him only. We want to pour out adoration, and in doing so, we meet with him and he changes us and transforms us. We want to be kingdom seekers, those who seek first the kingdom in all that we do through, the, through scripture and through prayer. And then today, we are a generous family and we intend to intentionally live as the sons and daughters of God, born into a kingdom family of all generations, generously loving, serving and encouraging one another as we seek to become more like Jesus. Sounds like a good church, doesn't it? Should we go to that one? <laughs> but we want to intentionally live as the sons and daughters of God, adopted into his kingdom, and in doing so, being rooted and established in that love, we generously give from the generous host that is given to us, generously love and serve and encourage one another because the scriptures tells us in doing so that would be the witness to the world around us. We can street preach as much as we want, but if we haven't sorted out our home, it's pointless. We need to be this loving family. Nikki Gumbel says that church is not an organization you join, but a family where you belong and a home where you are loved. Church is not a business, is it? If, if I have to go to one more seminar on how to be a good manager or have a 10-year business plan for church, I'd do it if we have to do it, but, but there's another plan, isn't there? There's a, there's a kingdom way of doing things. We aren't an organisation. We aren't a, just a denomination. We aren't just a church movement, but we're a family born of the Spirit. We are God's family together. So the church is not an organisation. And my fear is that the consumer model of the world is starting to creep into the church. Not just here at St Michael's, but the church, worldwide church. That we live in a culture where it's all about me. Do what makes you happy. It's about you, selfie, iPhone, I. Look at me, look at my dinner. <laughs> you know, we live in a world where it starts to become all about us. Look after you, yourself, and I. Look after yourself. Because we've seen a breakdown of family, and unfortunately, our society has had to do that out of survival. But we don't have to do that in church. We're no longer an I, but we're a we. That when we come out of the waters of baptism, we say goodbye to our old life and we're welcomed and adopted in to this new family of motley people that from the outside world we 
we shouldn't get along. But from the inside of the kingdom, it's the most beautiful family we can belong to. The church is a family, not an organisation. And we need to stand guard on this to not become an I-church, not to become a consumer church. I want it my way, yeah? We want it our way. We want it a we. We look at the body, we look at the family. There's a story in Judges 7 where Midian is um, up against the Midianite army. And there's 30,000 people, that's a lot of people, isn't it, in Gideon's army. But in the Midianite army, there's 300,000. And God is getting Gideon to go up against this large army. But God pauses him and says, hang on a minute, I think your army is too big, Gideon. So I'm going to just move to Judges because this is a wonderful story to teach us the church today. So, kids are having fun, aren't they? <laughs> um, Judges 7. So the Lord instructs Gideon to send his army down to the waterfront. And he says, there, I'm going to sort out a new army for you. So this is what the Lord says. Um, the Lord said to Gideon, there are too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out there for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you. I will give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. So there's this picture of these 30,000 strong men being sent down to the river to drink water. Some of them get to the water, shove their heads down to it, blah, 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 get all the water they can. But there's 300 men that kneel down to the water and cup it in their hands and drink the water this way. The ones who are cupping their hands are still getting the same water they're still getting the same provision as the others, but they're drinking in such a way that they're looking out for the other. They're drinking to protect their brother, to defend their brother, to have their brother's back. And the Lord says, 300 who do this, that's your army. That's what will win against the Midianites. The Lord said that he would rather have 300 men that will look after one another than 30,000 people who are in it themselves. And I believe this is for the church today. That the Lord is looking, even if we remain small, He is looking for people who are in it for one another than in it for themselves. Because when we become that church, when we become a church that will kneel down with the living water that is Jesus and drink with cup hands, looking to defend, looking to look after one another, the Lord can do way more with that than he can a big church that is there just to consume everything, to ask for better.
those that kneel down and drink with cupped hands with eyes on our brothers and our sisters. So we're called to be family, not a consumer model. Church isn't a shop that we can buy something from, but it's a family where we belong. And this metaphor of family is seen in the New Testament time and time again. Paul speaks of it so much to the churches, to the early church, of this metaphor of belonging to one another, that we are citizens together. It appears 277 times in the 13 letters of Paul. So I think he means business here, doesn't he? That he speaks of church and how we gather together as family. Ephesians 2, he speaks to the Ephesus church and Paul says this, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That when we come to Jesus through his blood, through his death and resurrection, when we've been born again in his spirit, we're no longer strangers to one another or aliens, but we belong together. Have you ever met another person and just knew that they were a Christian? Before they've even done anything, just something about them. That's us not being aliens anymore. We're all born of the one spirit. And that you can meet other Christians and go, <laughs> yeah? It's because we're one family and we belong to this family in St. Michael's, but we belong to the worldwide family. And our spirit testifies to, to one another. So we are a family who are connected and who know one another. We're no longer aliens. So to be this family though, before we can operate in the we of, of looking out for one another, we do need to look at the eye. We do need to be rooted and established in who we are and who God has created us to be and who God has ordained us to be. And that's why we started this section of where we're looking at being family that it begins in intentionally living as the sons and daughters of God, born into a new kingdom. We don't earn our way into this kingdom. And Jesus um, gave us access into this place. It's through faith. We are justified through faith, not by our works. And we need to intentionally live as the sons and daughters because it's from this place that everything else flows from. You know, if we don't get this, we just become like an orphanage where everybody's just scrapping around, trying to get their feet, trying to get what they need. And in orphanages, you need to employ people to run around because one or two people running around doing everything for the orphans. But when we're rooted and established in that we are children of God, we become home, we become adopted, where everybody gets to live in that home. So we need to intentionally live as the sons and daughters. If you're a child of God, that's amazing, isn't it? We're adopted by God, that revelation God that we read about. We've been adopted by Him. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, and Paul speaks this to the church of Ephesus again. He says, For He chose us in Him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. I love that. It is the Lord's pleasure and will that he calls us children of God. When the Lord looks at you, his arms are twisted behind his back, like, oh, rats, I didn't know they got through. Oh, Jesus, you died for them. Oh, I better not them. You know, you're not an add-on or anything, but it's the Lord's pleasure and will that he has called you his child. He is completely sold out to bring you into that place of sonship, of being called a son and a daughter. It's his pleasure and it's his will to do so. And you need to understand this context in which this passage is spoken in. Paul was speaking to the church of Ephesus at this time. And in this, this, this time and in this age, the Roman Empire would take babies, literally take babies that weren't perfect or blameless, or blemish-free, or perfect in sight. They would take these babies, and there was, there was a mountain in that community where they would take the imperfect babies and literally throw them off the mountain because they weren't perfect. In the sight of the Roman Empire, they weren't good enough. So Paul is speaking to this people group who know that they're in that mountain over there they're not perfect. And, and he's saying to this group of people in that culture, he's saying that the Lord sees you. And because of Jesus, you are perfect in his sight. And he's the God who goes up the mountain to adopt, to adopt you and to bring you home and to call you his child. Do you understand this? That these people would have been sitting there, these, these broken and damaged people, those who know their heart isn't great, their life's not even that great, they might be having some disabilities because that's what the church does, don't we gather everybody together. And they'd be sitting there thinking, if I was born now, I'd be on the other side of that mountain. But Paul is pressing the point, we have a God that goes up the mountain. And Jesus went up the mountain, didn't he? He went up to hang on a tree, to die a death, so that we could be perfect and blameless in the sight of God, and to be adopted in his family into his kingdom. He loves us and it's his pleasure and his will to come and take us from wherever we are at and to adopt us and to bring us in. So I don't know what mountain you feel like you've been thrown off in this life. I don't know where you feel like you've been discarded, where someone has taken you and loved you for how you should be loved and have thrown you off the mountain. Well, know this truth today, that we have a Lord who went and got us and gathered us up and has loved us and has committed to adopt us and to walk with us all the days of our life. We are sons and we are daughters adopted by God. What John says, how great is the Father's love that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We are loved. He lavishes his love upon us. So how do we intentionally live as sons and daughters? It's easier said than done, isn't it? We need to have a moment where we start to step in and intentionally live that way. As you know, our youngest is adopted and 
we could have shown you sort of how to compose these paperwork for hours, <laughs> you're adopting. We could have done that, you know, we can read these scriptures, can't we? And we can, no, I'm adopting, I'm adopting. But there's a moment when you step into intentionally live like it. And we have to make a decision in our family that we will intentionally live like, even if it doesn't feel like it yet. We will live like we were plan A all along. We will live as his parents and he will live as our son. So we need to intentionally live as sons and daughters. You're not going to wake up one day and be, woohoo, <laughs> I'm son and daughter. We need to step in. It's a, it's, a, it's a doing thing. We need to intentionally live this way. So just a couple of practical points. We live by the narrative of scripture, I hope, yeah? That's why one of our values is we read scripture because it speaks to our life. But the other main voice that we will have in our lives is ourselves. The other main commentary that you will hear about yourself is yourself. So we can read all of these scriptures, I am fearfully wonderfully made, I am God's masterpiece. It's his pleasure and his will that he loves me. But if we allow that voice to carry on going, yeah, love it for you though. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just a bit rubbish, aren't you? Oh, you stupid woman, what are you doing? Does that voice ring a bell? Do we all have that voice? I hope I'm not the only one. I don't get counted, do I? We need to intentionally step and silence that voice and intentionally begin to join in with the narrative of God about ourselves. How do we do this? Well, there's lots of ways. <laughs> Commit to it. And write some truths about yourself. That Practice the, the value of prophetic prayer. Get people to speak what God sees about you in your life. Write it down. Put it around your house. Put it in your purse every time you open it that there's a truth about you. So when you're going about life, you're going to intentionally live as a son and daughter. So when that voice comes, yeah, but I don't think Jesus quite did enough to forgive that. <laughs> Step into the scripture. No. <laughs> he died for all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you get where I'm coming from? We need to rewrite the commentary that we speak about ourselves. Because otherwise you're going to end up with a two-person situation going on. That you're going to act a certain way at church, but when you get home, you're going to self-load and hate yourself. But we're going to intentionally live as the sons and daughters of God. So we need to watch the commentary about ourselves. And then secondly, we need to allow others to speak into our lives. As great Brits, we are terrible at this. You can go get your hair done, can't you, and but someone will go, love the hair, oh, no, 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 no. Or, I love you, top no, 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 no. Or, that your prayer is so powerful. No, no, no. We do this, don't we? We dismiss that gift that someone else wants to give to us, to join in that commentary of the kingdom of God in our lives. So to intentionally live with the sons and daughters of God is to intentionally learn this word, thank you. Thank you. That's to intentionally live as a son. Let's, let's not play false humility here, yeah? 
a single person, I'm a married person. But God said, I picked her for you. And I went and told her, I said, I feel like the Lord wants us to be friends, should we try to do this? And it was awkward. It was really awkward. But we committed to a friendship. And we say we're covenant friends because we promise to never walk out on one another. We've said if we ever get in trouble, we get like we go to a Thai prison or something, something like that, we're still going to be best friends. And we're going to love one another. We're committed. So no matter what kind of day she has, if she shouts at me or gets the other with me, she's my friend. It's a covenant. We're not walking out on one another. And we need to recapture this in the church because we have lonely people who need friends. We don't need more services or events or clubs. We need friendship, full stop. <laughs> God says that he sets the lonely in families. We need families and we need friends. And the Lord spoke this, reminds me, bear with it, you'll hear God says a few more when he speaks to me. He said, over St. Michael's family, I want you to be a friendship group, a, a family with one another that tells one another if you've got spinach in your teeth. Does that make sense? Have you ever been at a meal with someone and they get something in their teeth and you don't know them that well and you're like, oh, <laughs> who's going to tell them? I don't know. And sometimes you see they're really good friends that says nothing. You're like, why are you not saying anything? But as a family, as a church, I want to be a family that tell one another if we've got something in our teeth because we're that family that drinks from cup hands, that looks out for one another and protects one another. So we will speak to one another. If there's bitterness rising up in our life, we've got that friend to say, get a bit bitter with you, that's <laughs> good you get thief. <laughs> and it helps love and it helps because we want to grow and we want to become a better family. So we need to grow in friendship. Now I'll let you look over some of the other practices because we'll be here all day and I'll have more. But the final one that I think is really important for us as a church is that we want to intentionally live as sons and daughters of God who seek to encourage and love one another, to call out the God gold in one another. I've seen so many churches die a death or just get so small or so picky and so, oh, because they haven't learned the art of being honest with one another and of being loving and encouraging to one another. So I long for us to cultivate a culture here at St. Michael's where there's no gossiping. It's the whole article, isn't it? No gossiping. No going to the shadows to talk about one another or to pull someone down. But in this family, we're a family that tells one another if we've got spinach in our teeth. Because we look after one another. And we look out for one another. I want us to be a family that's honest though. This isn't sugar-coated saying, oh yeah, lovely. <laughs> we won't tell one another if we're going horribly wrong. Because we love one another. So I long for us to cultivate this practice, that when we meet with other people and we have something to say about another person, we will share about that person. We do need bottle loads sometimes, don't we? Let's be honest. Family, 
At the end, he's convicted, though, to go back and talk to his wife. And this is how the conversation went with the Lord. Festo, said the Lord, you go back and apologise to your wife. But Lord, I've got a very important sermon to preach. You go and apologise to your wife. But Lord, there are hundreds of people waiting for me, and we're going to have a really good time tonight. You go and apologise to your wife. But Lord, I'm almost late and someone's waiting to collect me. All I can say to Lord, you go and preach your great sermon. I'm going to stay here with your wife in the kitchen. <laughs> and this is so important, guys, as we're seeking to be life and love and the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We need to get it right in our kitchen. We need to get it right in, in this place of loving one another and apologising to one another and building one another up. Because if we can't get it right here, we're nothing but a loud, longing sound and a clanging symbol. So I wonder if there's anyone in the family that we need to say sorry to, that we need to repent to, that we need to commit to speaking life and love over. Because we need to step into this value of being a generous family. So may we know this week that we are loved by God, that we are sons and daughters, and that we've been called to give out of that ever-giving place of Jesus of love and to serve one another, that we might see him come and his will be done. Amen.